0: This is a Beggy Cesar Podcast. If you go to the medical literature, I was really shocked to read like sentences which go along the lines of saying, diet and exercise affect weight loss in only a tiny minority of patients. So as clinicians, we've failed our patients.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Beggy Cesar Podcast. I'm Joan van Dijk. Today I'm speaking to HIV doctor Francois Fender to find out why he's changing the way he speaks to his overweight patients with HIV. In 2019, South Africa introduced a new medicine to its HIV treatment plans called dolutegravir. On the one hand, the medicine is better at getting the levels of the virus in people's blood so low that they're no longer infectious, called being virally suppressed. And it's also more forgiving if people skip a dose. But on the other hand, it's linked to weight gain as well. So Frontra, what do we know about the link between being on this antiretroviral treatment and gaining weight?
0: So initially we thought, this drug was actually perhaps even causing the weight gain. It actually seems to be more about a complicated healing process related to being HIV positive and getting better. And that gaining weight is actually just part of being South African and South Africans are very prone to obesity in the first place. And then being HIV positive, getting better seems to be linked to, if you're HIV positive and your immune system starts getting better, you seem to be prone to obesity as well. So those two things coming together seem to be much more important. In fact, seem to be the thing that is driving it rather than the drug, which is what we thought initially.
1: So it's not a specific drug, dolitegravir, it's antiretroviral treatment in general.
0: Yes. There's some of the older drugs which we know are linked to weight loss. And that it sounds wonderful you know, having drugs that make you lose weight. But the problem with those weight loss drugs is that they're usually linked to other terrible side effects even though it seems to have made you lose weight or blunted weight gains, you didn't gain weight as quickly, was also linked to whole of the side effects, the sleepiness and the dizziness and the bad dreams, as well as the liver toxicity and some of the other metabolic toxicity we saw, the glucose and the, the fat changes in your bloodstream. So none of this is good. The new antiretroviral regimens, the ones with dolutegravir in them, actually don't seem to have any impact on your weight. And in fact, this weight gain may actually just be a function of getting better on antiretrovirals. And the older regimens were actually masking the fact that this is what normally happens if you get better.
1: Does it affect how likely people are to keep taking the medicine if they think they'll be gaining weight?
0: Look, I think what it means is that firstly, people need to anticipate that they Are going to gain weight or that they need to think about how to mitigate gaining weight. They need to keep an eye on what they're eating, you know, the activity levels. There are things we can do to slow gaining weight. You know, once you've got weight on, it's next to impossible to lose it, unfortunately, without pharmaceutical help or surgery. But you can slow weight gain. You know, we can all do stuff to keep an eye on what we're doing to slow down, whether you're HIV positive or negative. But, you know, I think people, once they're on the drugs, they should keep taking the drugs. It would be a terrible thing to go off the drugs simply because you're worried about the weight gain. As a medical community and as an HIV community, we do need to start thinking very hard about what we do for people who are gaining weight. It's not just in the HIV community, it's across all South Africans.
1: And the medical establishment historically has treated obese people really cruelly, blaming them for being lazy when the real reason behind obesity is more environmental can you tell us a little bit about
0: that i think the community at large is not just the medical community but the medical community in particular has been very cruel i mean i'm shocked at my own behavior and the stuff i've been taught in the past about how much we've blamed our patients for putting on weight. And in fact, when you look at the obesity experts, we behave like people treated HIV positive people, sort of blaming their behaviors and things for getting HIV in the same way, you know, people who put on weights, it's very much out of their control. It's very much about the environment they're in. And you kind of have the same sort of approach to people who have obesity is to say to them, oh, it's your fault. You know, you can't keep your mouth closed. You know, you just eat anything that's in front of you. When in fact, a huge amount of obesity is determined firstly by your genes. I work with an endocrinologist who laughs about who's an obesity expert. And he says the first thing about, you know, not being obese is choose your parents well. And then the poorer you are, the less likely you are to be able to have access to the kind of food which can at least temper the obesity. You know, I have access to Woolworths, so I can at least make much healthier choices. You have to be quite wealthy to have access to that. We've often said to people, oh, you must diet and you must exercise. If you go to the medical literature, I was really shocked to read like sentences which go along the lines of saying diet and exercise affect weight loss in only a tiny minority of patients. So as clinicians, we've failed our patients.
1: So what you're saying is there are no diets, whether it's Atkins or Paleo, that actually leads to weight loss that people can maintain realistically after stopping the diet what are people's other options
0: the only way to actually lose weight in the vast majority of people in the past has been surgery which is obviously not available to the vast majority of people it's uh, very expensive and you know just not available but increasingly we've got pharmaceutical interventions which over the last few years have become available internationally I well, in rich countries it's unfortunately not available in poorer countries because they're just so damned expensive But they work like a bomb, and that is offering a great amount of hope to people. And I'm just, again, reminded of the HIV epidemic where, you know, in 2000, rich people had access to antiretrovirals and were suppressing the virus. And again, here we have an obesity epidemic where rich people have access to these wondrous drugs which are making you safely lose weight, predictably lose weight, offering hope to people with obesity, and we just don't have them available in poor countries.
1: It sounds like as an HIV clinician, you have really changed the way you're thinking about a lot of this. Tell us, how does that relate into your practical consultations? How are you dealing with your patients differently?
0: You know, looking after HIV is very much about swallow your Dolotegra-containing tablets and tell me why you can't. You know, What are the social reasons you can't swallow your tablets? Those are the challenges for the patients, the contextual reasons. What's going on in your family? What's happening at your job? Is it depression? Is it alcohol? Is it what's going on in your life? It's very rare that's got to do with the side effects of the tablets. And then from there, it's much more about the other health problems. And as I said, for me, the thing that's really affecting people is This weight gain, which is troubling to not everybody, but to enough patients for it to be something I have to learn about as a clinician and have to re, you know, I have to learn a whole lot of new skills to actually start being able to be useful again to my patient population. I don't want to undermine being HIV positive or to delegitimize the stigma that still comes with being HIV positive because I think that's still there. But I do think that the drugs are so potent and so good that once people get into the habits of taking their dolutegravir containing regimens, it takes the HIV away as a medical problem. There's still the stigma. There's still the fact they have to come to the clinic all the time. They still have to deal with the frustrations of clinical visits. And people, because they're getting old, you know, the average patients, the drugs are so effective. 20 years ago, they would have died of the HIV. Now, the people with HIV have a normal life expectancy. They're getting all the stuff they would have got if they didn't have HIV. South Africans get lots and lots of diabetes. They get lots of hypertension. So more and more of these patients with HIV are just getting the stuff they would have got anyway. You know, it's a process of successful aging. You get other stuff that you have to deal with. Me, as an HIV person, better start learning how to look after these people yeah, you know, we've got other things that they need sorting out. The HIV stuff in many ways is the easiest part of it.
1: You mentioned that there are similarities between the stigma around HIV and stigma around obesity. What are the trends that you're picking up?
0: With HIV in the early days, you still see it now. People will Say somebody's HIV positive and they say, well, it's their own fault. They made some behavior choices in their life and they got HIV in the background. The person with HIV will often take on that stigma and say, you know, I deserve to be HIV positive. I made some bad life choices and I ended up with HIV. Now, those of us in the HIV community don't think like that. You know, we look at it and we say, yeah, there's a whole lot of structural reasons that people are HIV positive and the whole of scientific and genetic and social reasons and poverty-related reasons and stuff for why HIV is prevalent in some communities and some age groups rather than others. We don't sit down and say, oh, you're HIV positive, you're a bad human being. The same thing goes with people with obesity. There's so much shame attached to it. And in some ways, that's to my mind, one of the last great stigmas. It's quite prevalent amongst healthcare practitioners to sit and judge people with obesity. And you'll see it in the media and you even see it amongst politicians and comedians. And you'll see it in around the dinner table. People will mock people with obesity. People will poke fun and say, you're a bad person. You've got no self control. You just put anything in your mouth. And when you look at it medically, there's actually, as I said to you, there, there are genetic reasons, there's social reasons, there's structural reasons. And the obesity experts, when you look at the way the obesity guidelines are written, when you look at obesity physiology and all the rest of it, it's exactly the same as HIV. It's all structural stuff. It's around genes. It's around the obesity environment. It's the food environment. You know, the way food is constantly tailored to make it so delicious. So you and I can think of 30 different kinds of food stuff that you just can't stop eating once you've eaten the first mouthful. And when you start looking at it like that, it feels exactly like HIV.
1: That was Dr. Francha Fenter from the VETS Research Unit on HIV and Reproductive Health. Early in January, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommended surgery and medications to treat childhood obesity. South Africa doesn't have such guidelines, and the weight loss medications haven't been tested in people with HIV yet. It's a complicated issue, but you can expect more reporting from us on this in the weeks to come. That's it for this episode of the Peggy Podcast. I'm Joan van Dijk.
0: This was a Peggy Podcast.